If you want Colts talk all year long, you're in the right place. Fires upfield into the end zone. It is caught. Jelani Woods. Touchdown. He's going to fire upfield. It's broken up. Tipped and up. intercepted by the Colts. This is the official Colts podcast, giving you an updated look at what's new with the horseshoes. Colts have it. Interception. Two seconds left. And the Colts are going to win. In the Indiana Union Construction Industry Radio Studio, let's get the podcast started. Hello again, everybody. Welcome to the official Colts podcast brought to you by Win Las Vegas. The Thursday crew happens upon you once again. Casey Vallier, the legendary Bill Brooks. I'm Matt Taylor. Sherry's behind the scenes on the ones and twos, making us look nice and pretty. You got a tall task there, <laughs> Sherry, here on YouTube. Yes, she does. But uh, we are behind the audio wall, if you will, on the Colts Audio Network. So thanks, everybody, for joining us in that regard as well. We got a monster game and a monster podcast here. We got the seven and five. Colts. We got the six and six Cincinnati Bengals coming up in week 14 of the NFL season. And we also have Tony Brown coming up on this podcast as well. Mr. Special Teams, a part of that <laughs> enormous game for the Colts in the third phase with, uh, I'm calling it two block punts, technically yeah. one block yeah. punt, a return for a touchdown by Grant Stewart, and then technically. Uh, as far as the stats go, a forced fumble. fumble recovery on a punt. We'll get into that with Tony Brown and how he views it himself, making a great play <laughs> coming off the edge there. But, uh, fellas, we lead off here with four-down territory, our top four storylines heading into this Week 14 battle on the banks of the Ohio River. We just talked about it. Here are the Colts are on a four-game winning streak. The Colts are the only team in the AFC right now that has a four-game heater. Uh, the Bengals are coming off – a Monday night football thriller. Both yeah. of these teams yeah. actually coming off overtime wins. Yep. Monday night football, Mr. Jake Browning leads <laughs> the Bengals to a win against the Jacksonville Jaguars. And Bill, have you ever seen one game change the complexion of another game the week after with the Jaguars losing and then the Bengals all of a sudden coming uh, back from the dead in terms of their playoff life <laughs> and their hopes, if you will? I one game. I can't remember a game that's swung so swung much, so much yeah. on one night Monday night football mm-hmm. game where you know the Jacksonville Jaguars if they win that game they you know they set themselves up pretty good for the rest of the season but Cincinnati played well because right. you know what they're playing for their playoff lives right now so for them to win and for Jacksonville to lose I mean it just changes everything in the AFC South right now well I mean you say that I mean think about it from Jacksonville's perspective they would go to nine and three and would be in a tie among the top in the AFC exactly not only you lose you see Trevor Lawrence get banged up yes. Christian Kirk now has to have surgery they're expected him to be gone throughout the rest of the season he may be able to return if they make a deep playoff run so there's a lot that went into that game and not to mention what Cincinnati did where I would say a lot of people kind of wrote them off when Jay, Joe, Joe Burrow was hurt. Yes. Yeah. Then Jake Browning out of nowhere comes out and completes <laughs> 85% of his passes over 350 yards. And right. you're like, hey, wait a minute here. So, yeah, it was a huge game. And, I mean, you're spot on with that, Matt. I, I'm sure it's recency bias where we can't remember something right. that this exactly. happened. But it does seem crazy that just the flip of what you thought would happen has changed a lot. I mean, that's the first down on our four-down territory here. I mean, it is. It's, it's crazy the complexion of this game changing on one result and we had to wait until the final game <laughs> right, week yeah. 13 right. to see it here the Colts are 7 and 5 the Bengals are 6 and 6 if the Bengals win on Sunday both teams would have the same record, obviously, but then the Bengals would yep. obviously have the head-to-head tiebreaker over the Colts and would leap up or jump up in the pecking order in the AFC playoff standings. And the Bengals, listen, they are not at all, their playoff hopes are not at all washed it's, away exactly. right there in the river there in Ohio. There are three 7-5 and five teams right now. You've got the Colts, you got the Steelers, and you have the Browns. They play all three of them yep. in their final yeah. five games. They mm-hmm. play them all, so they, they completely feel like the Colts where they've got their playoff hopes and their destiny in their own hands if they can you know, take control and, and take care of their own business there with Mr. Jake Brownie, who, Browning, <laughs> who we'll talk about coming up in just a second. But as I said, both teams had to play extra time. Um, certainly Cincinnati had an extra day to do it, had to wait an extra day to do it on Monday Night Football. Uh, Bill, how do you – 
when you played overtime games, how do you feel the next week? I mean, can you describe the, the, the toll that that extra seven, eight minutes had on you physically? And, and who might have the edge going into this game, knowing both teams did indeed have to play overtime? A lot of times you wouldn't think seven or eight minutes is that long to play a football game, but it actually is pretty long. And a lot of times what happens after that seven, eight minutes the next day or yeah. later on that week, you just feel a little sluggish. Yeah. You know, your, your legs for a receiver, your legs feel a little heavy. You just can't move as fast sometimes. So you hope, you're hoping to get some rest. And I, I think, you know, from a physical standpoint, I think if you look at it right now, the coach should have the advantage. But I'm, I'm pretty much banking on that. The Bengals coaches were, hey, we're going to give these guys a break, yeah. take something off their feet, something, you know, rest their feet, rest them a little bit, still go through practice, but be a very light practice so they won't have to, you know, tax their body so much so they'll be ready to play on Sunday. You're to that, with the overtime period, it's not that the first four quarters aren't important, right? but it's just so heightened in overtime because one first down could change things. You know, one big penalty changes things. One big play. I mean, we saw it with the Alec Pierce bomb yeah. that Gardner mentioned yes. through last week it was such a huge play. And it's all just, you know, heightened a little bit more. So, yeah, it's seven, eight minutes, but it's seven, eight minutes. They're just a little bit more of yeah. a, you know, you're maybe going 120 percent compared to the 105 <laughs> you were going before. Exactly. Know, and since, so. the, you know, Cincinnati played on Monday, so it should hurt yeah. them a little bit, a little bit more. But I, like I said, I'm thinking that the, the Bengals coaches yeah. will give them some time off and so they can rest and be ready to go. Yeah, and that's where we're taping this on Thursday. That's why the Colts on Wednesday held a walkthrough to yeah. keep guys fresh. I mean, you're late in the season anyways. Then you play over. Time, it's really important to give guys as much rest going into a huge game as possible. All right, that was first down. Here's second down. Grover Stewart is back. The big Grove returns. And he's been reinstated from his six-game suspension. We knew about his uh, violation of, of the NFL's PED policy. And here are the stats with and without Grover Stewart. I'm sure you've seen. I'm sure you've heard all about this. Here it is one more time for context. With, with Grover Stewart in the lineup this year, rushing defense giving up 3.7 yards per carry, 113 rushing yards per game. Not bad, but the Colts have had some elite performances stopping the run this year, primarily with number 90 in the, uh, in the lineup. Without him in six games, 4.7 yards per, 153 yards on average given up. The Colts have allowed at least 125 rushing yards in six straight games. First time that's happened to the Colts since 2006. We remember the uh, the regular season up and down yeah. nature of uh-huh. that season in terms of the defense. Now, they got to figure it out in the playoffs. They won the Super Bowl that year, so maybe that's a good omen here with Grover <laughs> Stewart <laughs> coming back. But if that's but, the case, hey, I'm all right with yeah, that. Right? Yeah, right. Sign me up for that. But, <laughs> exactly. but Grover said on Wednesday, hey, I'm ready. I wasn't injured. I wasn't banged up. I just got pinched a little bit. And we don't need to get into that. He's very remorseful. And uh, it's one of those things that happens. And you move on. You learn from it. You grow. Everybody learns a lesson from from what happened to Grover Stewart in terms of the intake into his body there. But no pitch count. Uh, no limitations at all for, for Grover Stewart. Playing the number 32 rush offense from the Cincinnati Bengals on Sunday. How do you think this all plays out, Bill? Well, I, hopefully it plays out well for the Colts, having Big Grove back there to you know stop the run. Not that the Bengals have this great running game, but right. don't get me wrong. When you have Joe Mixon back there, right. he still can be a He's game breaker. He, yeah. can, he can be a game breaker, so don't take him lightly just because right. the last in the league in, in rushing per game at 82.5 yards per game. That doesn't mean make a big difference at all because once you start playing the game, things change. So I think it's going to be important and imperative for the Colts to be alert for Joe Mixon and the running game. Just make sure that you stop them and put all the pressure on the quarterback. Let's see if he can do it again now. He did, he did pretty well last week, the quarterback Browning did, but yeah. let's see if he can do it again and then put some pressure on them by hopefully stopping the run. Hopefully having Grover back will, will help that uh, cause for the Colts. Here's a question for both of you. I'm just playing devil's advocate here because Grover's coming back. We know about the woes and being able to stop the run, but in that time, the pass rush – He's yeah. been on fire. Yes. Right? The sack numbers, the pressures have just been lighting up the, the box score here. Uh, in the last five games, the Colts have 21 sacks, 
and they have what was it four straight sacks or yep. I should say four sacks in yeah, five in straight, straight games, games. Yep. six sacks back and back-to-back back 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 games yep. for the first time since 1984. Again, hypothetical, or I should say devil's advocate question to both of you. Casey, you go up first. Just throwing it out there. Any worry about the pass rush dropping off with Grover coming back? You know, that that is a concern. It is one of those things because the way that this – through these six games, that's where the pass rush has really, you know, started to find its ground and its footing. And it's also will. come from the inside, too, come, where Grover and that's, plays. And that's where my big right. thing is, is from the inside, you have seen, you know, a lot of that pressure, too. And Yeah, Buckner, Eric Johnson, yeah, they're I've, getting there. And, yeah. and, and Grover is not, like, we're not saying he's not a pass rusher. Yeah. Like, Grover can affect, you know, all of that. But, I mean, he is a really impactful run stopper. So it's going to be interesting to see. But the one thing that I will say, playing devil's advocate on that, Uh-oh. is I think... What do you even call that? <laughs> I, I don't advocate know. Advocate on top of the advocate? advocate or yeah. What are we advocating now? <laughs> devil, devil advocate Double squared? Here. <laughs> devil <laughs> advocate squared? <laughs> right. But I, I think the pass rush, is the confidence level has been so high that I don't think you're going to see a fall off because guys like Samson, Dio, Quiddy, they're all seeing everything they've been working to start to really pay off the last handful of weeks. So I think that confidence level is still going to be so high that they're saying, you know what, you know, the interior where we're getting some of that may not be there, but we can get it from elsewhere. So we know what Buckner can do. Buckner's still going to be able to impact the quarterback. We have seen, you know, some guys step up and Taven, Brian, Eric Johnson, Adetamua, Adabare. So we will still probably see a good rotation in there. So I think there's going to be your spots. So I understand the concern. I think it's one of those things where we have to see how it's impacted. But I'm never going to say that having number 90, in the, it's, it's a detriment at all because you know the impact that Grover has, and we definitely want to see him back in the lineup. Don't underestimate a player's fresh legs right. coming back. Grover having fresh it, legs, being ready to play, yeah. probably wants to go out there and say, hey, you know what, I'm back, guys. I, I want to I get involved in this, what you guys have been doing lately. You guys have been playing well, doing a good job, winning some football games. Now I want to contribute myself. So fresh legs. He'll probably be hyped up for the game. So I expect Grover to play well this week against Cincinnati. Mm-hmm. It, it was funny. On Wednesday, they asked, are you going to be on any pitch count? He said, no, I'm playing every snap. <laughs> Co- Coach, I'm ready. Let's go. I'm all of them. I'm ready to go. 100%. But, but Gus Bradley mentioned that this week about how getting Grover back, it's almost like adding a free agent. Yeah. You know? yeah. Or uh, I think it's a first-round draft. Right. <laughs> and, that, and that's what my thought was. I was like, this isn't a free agent. I mean, this is like yeah. going out and targeting in a trade deadline deal a guy that's going to help yeah, you. This like if you're, yeah, this is like if you're the Reds. You you know, like, all right, we're, we're not supposed to be contending. Let's go get an ace. Here we yeah. go. Yeah. And Grover Stewart that, is the ace against the run. 100%. Yes. Grover Stewart is such a key. Small market baseball comparison there, right? And like you said, I mean, he wasn't injured. So this is six weeks where, you know, he wasn't injured, but you're never 100% healthy. So that's six weeks he was able to get his body yeah. right and everything. So it does kind of have a positive impact after yes. getting back right now. Yes. All right, let's go to third down. Topic here is battle of the backups. I love this. The NFL put this out there the other day, and it just sort of smack me in the face. I mean, how could I forget that Jake Browning and Gardner Minshew have actually squared off against one another before in college. It was yes. Washington versus Washington State in the Apple Cup. 2018, okay. <laughs> right? I think it's either the, the day before Thanksgiving or the weekend after Thanksgiving. Uh, that rivalry there on the, on the West Coast. Browning was the starting quarterback at Washington. Minshew, the starter at Washington State. Um, so let's find out who is Jake Browning because a, a lot of us, and I'll raise my hand, yeah, I, um, kind of forgot. I'm right, I'm right behind Jake Browning <laughs> right and there. had to say to myself, who is this freaking guy like (laughs) this guy is balling out so let's get indoctrinated on jake browning if you're playing catch up just like us here so browning originally came into the league as an undrafted free agent signee in 2019 despite having unbelievable numbers and an unbelievable career at washington he's the all-time winningest uh, quarterback in the history of, of the Pac-12, led Washington to the college football playoff in 2016, set all kinds of records there for the Huskies and their program, but went undrafted. First two years was on the Minnesota practice squad, got cut at the end of the preseason in 2021, then got signed by the Bengals uh, right after that. So in 2021 and 2022, spent those seasons on the Bengals practice squad. Then this year, beat out Trevor Simeon to be Joe Burrow's backup. The first 11 games, he's getting ready and then called into action to start uh, two weeks ago against Pittsburgh. 
Burrow got banged up on a Thursday nighter, had to come in in, in short order uh, to play the Ravens. Obviously, they didn't win any of those games. And then the playoff hopes have, have taken a dive, and here he comes. He says, boys, <laughs> put it all on Let's me. Go. I'm, I'm good to go. <laughs> and so he has made two starts uh, at any NFL level or any kind of football level, I should say, since the Rose Bowl in 2019. <laughs> and all he did last week was throw for 354 yards, complete 86% of his passes, becoming the first undrafted rookie ever, or not undrafted rookie, but the first undrafted player ever to put up those kinds of numbers in his first NFL win on primetime. Monday Night Football against the Jaguars, the heavily favored Jacksonville Jaguars, and he did it with calm, ease, exactly. and poise. On the road. Yeah, yeah on, on the, the road. road. Like, yeah. How impressed are you by this guy, and how much new life does he give the Bengals here? I was highly impressed by his performance against the Jacksonville Jaguars on Monday night because you're throwing the ball 37 times. You haven't really played a lot of football. You complete 32 of those passes. Yeah. 32 of those passes. Yeah. Didn't seem like he was panicking. Just seemed calm, cool. You throw for over 300 yards, no turnovers. Well, not by him, I right. would say. Not by uh, Browning. But he did a, a remarkable job. I mean, especially after coming off the previous week where he didn't play so well, you didn't know what you were going to really get out there. But as you say, Mate, on primetime TV, Monday night against a division leader in yeah. Jacksonville Jaguars yeah. Yeah. on the road in a hostile environment. With your season hanging in the balance. Yes, playoff. Yeah. Implications are very important for that game for them. Yeah. And they come out and win in overtime. I mean, give the young, give the young man credit. He's 27. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But it's give crazy. The, it's crazy. But get the young man did a nice job. Yeah. And for him to be so calm and cool out there, it shows a lot about him. I would assume that you both watched Monday night very similar to the way that I was because I kind of like the Monday night game when you're playing that one of those teams because it's like yeah. your, first, your first taste of them and you get – the full night to watch all of it. I mean, I watched every single snap. I watched pregame. I watched because for Jacksonville, it was like their first Monday night football game in Jacksonville since 2011. 2011. I mean, it had been forever. So it was like all this hype over. And for the Bengals, they weren't on Monday night very often either. It's like their first win on Monday night since the night. It would create all this lead up to it. And I was expecting, <clears throat> excuse me, I was expecting to watch Doug Peterson and the Jags roll. Yep. And early on, I just kept saying, wow, Jake Browning doesn't look that bad. And instead, instead of saying that throughout the game, I kept going, wow, who is Jake Browning? By because, the fourth quarter, you're saying this guy's good. <laughs> why, why is this guy taking so long to get his shot? Yeah. And I think that's part of what you see in the NFL. We see it every single week that yeah. a lot of these guys, you just got to give them an opportunity. And for Jake Browning, clearly, I mean, you talk about the college pedigree. In high school, he set a national record for touchdowns thrown. I mean, he threw 92 touchdown passes as a senior in high school. 92. <laughs> now, this is no stab at my alma mater, Noblesville High School up north. Oh, I don't know if they throw 92 touchdown passes in the history of that high school. When I was there, I mean, we scored like six touchdowns. You know, that was, it was that we, we didn't throw the football. It was a lot yeah. of running. Alma mater of the year right yeah. there. Yeah, yeah. Give right. them the award. Yeah. But I'm just saying, like, those are mind-blowing numbers. Yeah, so the guy are, clearly yeah. has the talent. He put it on full display on Monday. And, and I think I think what I came out of, of Monday night with in terms of my feelings on Cincinnati is that with Browning, I mean, what I'm about to say is going to shortchange him, and I don't mean it to, but he proved to be incredibly competent. Very much so. And, and in control, right? I mean, so, uh, again, that I think he's much better than that, but that's what we were all wondering about him. So, with that, I mean, I think their offense is still just as dangerous with him at Man. quarterback. I mean, he threw for more yards in a game this year than Joe Burrow did. Yep. His completion percentage on Monday was higher than any game this year, completion percentage-wise, with Joe Burrow. Uh, Jamar Chase has had better numbers with Jake Browning this year than with Joe Burrow. All right, so, like, this Burrow bum, get him out of here, run him out of town. <laughs> you right? just him. Let's go ahead and get uh, rid of him. Yeah. I, I, I'm, I'm not going to go there yet. Yeah. <laughs> Joe saying, Burrow's pretty saying that in jest, But I'm saying with, <laughs> right. with Chase and Higgins yes. and Boyd and Mick, uh, Mixon, excuse me, and, and Chase Brown, uh, the rookie running back being yep. able to show yeah. some things. I mean, I, I think that – this offense has kind of been up and down all year because of injuries to Boyd. Mm -hmm. Chase has been banged up a little bit. Mixon's been banged up. Obviously, the quarterback Higgins. shuffling yep. with, with Joe Burrow. I think right now, 
you still have to feel like this is still an elite offense based on what Browning showed on Monday Night Football. Well, he has weapons to use. Yeah. He definitely has a lot of weapons to use, so that helps him a lot as far as knowing that, hey, look, I don't have to do it by myself as a quarterback. I can get the ball into these guys' hands and let them do some special things out there on the football field. So he has weapons, and he has maybe one of the best trio of receivers in the National yeah. Football League on his side. So that helps him a lot. And Mixon, like I said earlier, he is a good back. He's a back that can can be a game wrecker himself by just running hard and also catching the ball in the backfield. So, you know what, he has, he has some special talent around him, so it should make it easier for him to play football. Well, and, you know, this kind of goes back to the running game. We talked about, you know, how porous they were at 32nd. But I think ultimately it was because they had guys like Joe Burrow and Jamar Chase, and they said, that's what we got to use. And I think that's where you saw a little bit on Monday. They ran the ball well, but also did you see how Joe Mixon was involved in the passing Passing game? game. So they have kind of that extension of the run in Joe Mixon. And I think you might see a more balanced offense out of Cincinnati with Jake Browning, which is it might be a benefit to their team. So, you know, you look at the numbers, 32nd in the league in rushing. I kind of look at that as, you know, that's before the the newly looked Bengals of what we're going to see moving forward. Now, I'm not going to say they're all of a sudden going to jump up and be a top 15 running team. Yeah. But I think what you saw out of you mentioned Chase Brown, the rookie on Monday, he gives him a little di- a little difference in what you have in Joe Mixon. Joe Mixon's kind of the you know the banger. He's going to run for those hard hard yards. Brown kind of has that explosiveness. That's kind of the first time we've seen him. So he adds another dimension to that running game. So it's going to be very interesting because you can talk about all their weapons on the on the outside. I mean Jamar Chase and T Higgins. That duo right there might be among the best, and Tyler Boyd has done it for such a long time in Cincinnati. So you're not at all wrong when you look at if Jake Browning is competent, as you mentioned, Matt, they have the weapons to be dynamic. So it's definitely something you can't overlook what that offense looks like because there are a lot of really explosive players. All right, let's go to fourth down real quick. Let's go over to the Colts offense, talk about Michael Pittman Jr. And, Bill, I got to get your thoughts on this first and foremost because you're in the ring of honor for a reason, and Michael Pittman Jr. is playing like a a ring of honor caliber player (laughs) right now based on what he's producing because he's on a different level right now. 11 catches the other day against Tennessee, 105 yards, the game-winning touchdown. Right now he ranks second in the NFL on targets. He's fourth in catches. He's been targeted at least 10 times in eight games this season. (laughs) He has nine games this season with at least eight catches. That leads the NFL, ranks second in Colts single-season franchise history. He's also racked up at least eight catches in five straight games, which is tied for the second longest streak in franchise history. So right now, this offense, at least in the passing game, it is Pittman, it is Downs, and then it's like the Heartbreakers or the Pips or you know, just a, a good supporting cast, right. if mm-hmm. you will, here, mm-hmm. if, if you want to make that rock and roll analogy. What have you seen, Bill, from your standpoint as a Ring of Honor former wide receiver that played at such a high level in this league? What is it about Pittman's game right now that you can recognize in terms of him taking it from here to here, metaphorically? From a physical standpoint, he, he, he's out there just kind of, you know, just doing what he wants to do. He's taking running routes, moving people out of the way, being physical, and being in the right place at the right time. So, I mean, he's, he's out there just playing extremely well. The thing that impressed me most is that he wants to be the guy. Mm-hmm. He's going out there wanting to be the guy. I want to be the guy that makes one of that for a long time. Yes, I want to be the guy that makes a difference on this team, especially on an offensive side of the ball, yeah. where when it's third and five, give me the ball. Or when we're in the fourth quarter and we have to have this last drive, throw me the ball. I want the ball. And that says a lot about him. He's not scared of the big moment. Yeah. So that's why I've seen him grow, where he's not scared of the big moment, where he wants the ball, and he wants to be the leader out there on the football field. I think we all know he's a very physical guy, and he wants to play physical. I think the more physical the game is, the better he plays. And that's what he wants to do. So I'm highly impressed with Pittman's mm-hmm. performance this year. He's done a tremendous job being a leader, not just in the wide receiver room, but on that offense as well. I loved his comment that he made after the game on Sunday where – I feel so confident right now that I can just take an Uber to the game, get there 10 minutes before, put my shoes on, and I'm ready to go out and dominate. And that's what I mean, that's what I feel like. That's a good feeling. Please don't do that. Yeah, don't do that. I mean, I think what he is saying, like, he, it's like. You're like a hardcore fan. Where are you headed? Lucas Oil Stadium. Lucas Oil, huh? Watch this. Please don't do that. It's like we have said with Matt Gay, who, when he gets in the stadium, he's he's in range. Like, Pittman, it's like. 
once he once he steps inside the infield boundary, I mean, the guy is ready to take over the game, and that it, that confidence it continues to grow week. I mean, it's almost like oh, he did this last week. What's he going to do next week? I mean, mm-hmm. he went out and had eleven catches last week, and it was like every time you needed the play, Pittman was there. And one of the things that I'm really excited for, I don't want to jump ahead anything here, but what we saw out of Alec Pierce adding that wrinkle to the offense, I really think that's going to help everybody else. And more importantly, it's going to continue to help and give maybe Pittman a little bit more separation, give him a little bit more opportunity for other things. So, I mean, the way Pittman is playing, you're spot on. I mean, he is playing at a caliber where you could look at in the future and say he's definitely ring of honor worthy through his first four years. Yeah, there's no doubt about it. You know, you talk about pace and all that. He's on pace for a career high 1,200 receiving yards. But to your point, Bill, just in overtime, whether it's third down or you're stacked up in your own territory or you need to play in the red zone, it's Michael Pittman Jr. I mean, the catch with two guys draped all over them. Three guys have their paws on the football, but it's Pittman muscling it away from That's two my guys ball. with the great yeah. hands. Mm-hmm. Um, he is he is making a case to be, I think, one of the more not underrated wide receivers in the NFL, but, but not I think talked about enough. Not yeah. talked about enough <laughs> players um, at his position, and it's a contract year for him. We got uh, you know a lot of time to talk about that coming up in the offseason about Michael Pittman's uh, future here with the Colts. But right now, the future is bright with five games to go, and he and Gardner Minshew are in the zone together with the targets and the catches and the synergy and just kind of that unspoken language they have in the passing game. Another guy that is raising the bar on special teams, that's number 38 for the Colts. You know him. You love him. It is Tony Brown. He does the dirty work. He's a class guy. He's a character guy. He's full of personality he's full of energy he had that we're calling it a, a block but it's technically yeah. a forced fumble on the titans punt formation setting up the colts with a recovery and uh, some more points there in the second half trying to get back into that game against the tennessee titans so tony brown joined us earlier today here on the official colts podcast you don't want to miss this one Joining us in studio, the man, the myth, the legend. It is number 38 for your Indianapolis Colts. Tony Brown is with us here. Tony, thanks so much for the time, man. How are you? I'm doing well. Thank you guys for having me. Absolutely. So take us through. We we have to start. There's there's so much to get into with you because you're such a great player, a fascinating guy. But take us through the – we're calling it a block. We're calling it a block. (laughs) I don't don't care what you call it. I don't care what the NFL calls it. That is a block punt. Technically, I guess, a forced fumble there on Ryan Stonehouse. But – Take us through that play. You had three special teams tackles. You had a forced fumble, but the big play was that one on the second block punt, if you will, for the Colts mm-hmm. in that game in the second half. How did you time it up so well on your your blitz off the edge, if you will, getting after the punter? So, uh, so it's called a corner roll, right? We um, we had it dialed up against um, this team who has shown. Um, their gunner, they have a gunner roll, a gunner motion, where they motion the, the wide gunner on the wide field to give him a little momentum, to get him momentum going down the field. So um, we noticed that they had a certain um, hand movement whenever they're from the signal it, and they didn't ever really look to the other side of the field. So me using my, uh, you know, my awareness, my instincts, uh, and my speed, mm-hmm. we thought that it would make sense for me to corner roll opposite the opposite their motion. So off the hand motion, I timed it up throughout the week. Um, I got a block point, which was like in nine and a half yards. I worked it. Like every maybe two three days, I worked the timing of it mm-hmm. off the snap, off the where I needed to come off the edge, where the block point was, um, and so just whenever I saw it, I timed it perfectly. I gave myself just enough room off the ball so that if I did move forward sooner than the ball snapped, I wouldn't be offsides. Also, right, right. so <laughs> like that, all of that went together with me just being Johnny on the spot and just being really mindful in that moment, in that moment, and timing it perfectly. And you know the funny thing is about that play so going over it you know I'm big on like visualization and like meditating like every time I visualize myself making a play like I I saw myself getting there at the kick point like at the block (laughs) point right so when I'm coming off the edge scot free I'm scot free I'm like yo I'm Yo, this is. A, I've I'm, already seen this, right? Listen, not not <laughs> right. only that, but I have not. I didn't see myself getting there that early, right? Because I got there before it even got to his foot, right? So when I watched it on film, I'm I'm running, 
in the moment I'm running, I'm like, yo, I'm, I'm there kind of early. Like, hold on, I, I kind of got to slow down a little bit. Yeah, right, Because I actually right. had to block it, like, behind behind myself a little bit to tap the ball. Right. And then I look at it, you know, I'm not big on what could have, should have, but, like, I could have, like, just grabbed the ball because, and scored. Yeah, you literally, <laughs> you know what I mean? But, yeah, yeah, yeah. But, like, positive play for the team. Um, I forgot the punter's last name, but. Stonehouse, yeah. Stonehouse, I do want to, uh, like, sure. just give a, uh, my condolences to him and his family. Hopefully he has a speedy recovery. Um, but. You know, hey, good play for the team, though. Yeah, there's no doubt about it. I mean, listen, it's you're exactly right, and, and well said by you. I mean, that's that's just a football player making a football play, though. But I mean, going back to what you said, though, on, on the lead up to that play. So, did I hear you right that you had sort of the the freedom built in to to do that, to make that read, yes. and to kind of instinctually do that on your own within the scheme on the on the pump block? Yes. So whenever we noticed that they had their off tight end player on the ball and their opposite gunner off the ball, it was a check that we, what we were supposed to have. Whenever we whenever I saw it, whenever we saw it, it was yeah. a check that we were supposed to have. And oddly enough, not oddly enough, but, you know, crazy enough, right after the first punt, I guess they got on the ball quickly thinking that they were going to get us in a position where, okay, we just got a block point, we got to just get the ball off. Yeah. Unfortunately for them, we had a check ready for <laughs> yeah. that. Yeah, and so it a just cat ended up game there, right? Right. <laughs> so so I mean, when you saw that happening, were you like, "Oh, oh, it's on"? Watch this. <laughs> yeah, it's on. I said, "Oh my!" God. I said, "I can listen because they got to the ball quickly." I'm like, "Yo, I can't believe they're finna do this. It's finna be on the block. It's finna be on the block. I can't believe. I cannot believe they're finna do this right now." Because, like I said, they got on the ball quickly. So I'm like, "Yo, oh my gosh, they're on the ball. Oh, it's a block. It's blocked." Now, now Matt mentioned it earlier that we're calling it a block here. Mm-hmm. I know that Brian Mason spoke to the media this week how he's trying to talk with the NFL to make sure that is a block and out of force fumble. I know it doesn't matter, but in your eyes, that's a blocked punt, right? In my eyes, it is a blocked punt. Okay. Because, <laughs> right. like, that's that's what it was. It was the, he, right. is, he is the kicker. He's not a quarterback. He wasn't trying to run the ball. He was right. attempting to kick. Right. And I just got there earlier than it got to his foot. Yeah. One of the things we have noticed, I'm sure Matt can attest to this over the last handful of years, special teams, it is – not saying it's different other places, but here it has always been a key part of this team. And it really it, it involves that buy-in. And clearly, I mean, you're one of those core special teams guys. You have a role on defense as well, but just talk about that buy-in. I mean, it seems like year in, year out, there are a handful of guys that are, you know, fan-worthy names that you recognize as special teams guys. You know, that is definitely a coach culture. Whenever I was at other teams, whenever we played the coach, we knew it was going to be a game of, like, the team is going to be big. This is a, this is a team yeah. that prides themselves on the special teams players and the play of all the core special teams. So, mm-hmm. like, whenever I got here, like, coming from Alabama, to me, there's a sense of pride and legacy to keep things going if you're a part of an organization. So, me being a part of this organization, um, I have a sense of pride myself to not be that crew of guys that, let that that drop the that drop the totem that let the fire go out let the flame of the special teams go out yeah. me being a core guy and I think that you know that's the mentality here because there are still some guys that were a part of that legacy of of it being continued EJ Speed Zaire Franklin yeah. um, Kenny Moore all these guys were special teams guys that made a difference on the team and they're yeah. still here on the team so right. those guys along with yeah. Joe Hastings they. Uh, they help communicate to us like the standard at which we're going to have to keep rolling. Me, Grant, Nick Cross, Shigua Luby, like it's a standard that we're not going to let go away. And especially with Mason, his first year here, it's like him being a rookie coach and me being a veteran player. You know, I took the I take the responsibility of helping him as much as I can with my play, with being a leader on and off the field, so that we can all come together to keep it going. Now, going along with that, like you said, the the standard of excellence within special teams since you've been here was Bubba Ventrone. We knew right. how that went. I mean, just great special teams, uh, covering kicks, returning kicks, blocking punts, all the touchdowns. But Brian Mason came from Notre Dame, and they had a boatload of block punts for touchdowns right. last year with the Irish. It was really great to see him get two in, in one game with the Colts. What, what, what do you like about Coach Mason, and how, as you said, kind of collaborative is it with him taking input from – outside resources, putting a special teams game plan together. 
You know, Coach Mason, when you when you were in this business and you get into your ascending up the level of your own personal totem of manhood, mm-hmm. of, of your career, of which he's ascending up his own personal totem right now, getting an NFL job, head team coach job, there's uh, certain levels of ego, right, that you have to deal with in the NFL team. And so you never know what type of ego button or what type of ego token someone could get going up the totem, right? And, you know, just Brian Mason, he's a very humble coach. Like, he has he has the wherewithal to understand and be able to listen and then not think that he knows everything of which a coach could assume like hey I got here based off what I know so I'm going to continue to do what I'm doing based off what I know like you're just a player stay a player but he he's uh He's flexible enough to to give guys the the uh, the lane in the alley in the chair the 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 microphone to like to speak to him to be open to ideas to be open to hey this is how I've made blocks I understand that this is how you coach blocks and to meet somewhere in between and you know as a player it's a uh, it's a push and pull with um with your own personal techniques based off your strengths and weaknesses and the techniques. Uh, being applied by a coach based off his knowledge of of his of his like defense or special teams or blocking schemes right so I think that leading up to this game and leading up this far in the season through OTAs I think he's done an amazing job of uh, like game planning things based off of our skill set based off of what we've told him based off of learning on the move of the difference between the NFL and college I think he's done an amazing job I think he's an amazing coach I think he's going to do well going forward also mm-hmm. and I can't not I cannot not mention Joe Hastings, which is uh, Joe Hastings is like, I think he's the best assistant special team coach in the league sure. as far as just like he was a player. He, he he brings that level of excitement. He brings that he connects the two probably behind the scenes with Mason and with players and just with things that that go unseen. So I think Joe is definitely an unsung hero also. There's no doubt. Yeah. Good point right there. Now, you mentioned earlier some of those guys who, you know, started on special teams, whether that's Zaire Franklin, Kenny Moore. EJ Speed, you see them, you know, especially defensively, they're key defensive players. I want to go back to week one. Kenny Moore suffers an injury. You have to be Johnny on the spot, as you mentioned. You got to be ready any time your your number is called. And there you are. You've got to prepare all week as a special teamer, but you've got that side. You know, you got to be defensively sound. And there you are in the right place, the right time to get that interception. Just talk about what that weekly grind is like to be kind of doing two things every week preparing but you have to be ready your numbers call you know that's that's like the dark side of the moon in the NFL being a a, a second team or a backup to a starter because you you have to get the mental reps instead of the physical reps as much right and so but there is no there can be no drop off right. because in this league the expectations there right there is no there is no level of excuses for mm-hmm. hey no 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 so it's like it's a level of awareness and being able to stay locked in and you know it, I think that that play was just like I think it was a blessing of like because it was a tip ball so I think it was a blessing of and not only was it a tip ball but they were in 13 personnel and we hadn't ran nickel against 13 personnel like all the whole week or even in training camp so it was just like I think it was just a blessing to me that I was doing every I was doing things I was doing things right because I do a lot of things behind the scenes that like that aren't glitz and glammy that aren't seen but you know you know I, I'm a firm believer in like you've got to plant the right seeds whatever seeds you plant you're gonna you're gonna sow whatever you plant whether that's like resentment and negative so like I could have been resentful that I'm not getting these plays I could have been yeah. resentful planting these negative seeds of like you know I should be in I should be this but instead I, I'm an encourager I'm a guy who was there for you for whatever you need whether you're a backup starter or whatever yeah. and I think that was just that was just the fruit that came from that and, and that's one thing I want to go to because talking with these guys in the locker room, it doesn't take long before Tony Brown's name comes out of their <laughs> mouth as one of the guys that, you know, is in their corner, always pump them up. You look at this cornerback room, very youthful. Guys like Daryl Baker Jr. having to do a lot in year two. And then Jalen Jones, you know, mm-hmm. a late round rookie. What have you done to help these young guys in the growth that we've seen out of this secondary to this point? I think based on my history uh, throughout the NFL, you know, I came in as a young corner undrafted. Uh, I started 
for like the latter part of the season, my rookie year with Green Bay. And in that group, we had Kevin King. We had just brought in um, Bashar Breeland. We had Tremont Williams, um, Jair Alexander, yeah. first-round pick. So this was a, a very talented group, and I ended up starting throughout the end of the year. So And I've been released four times. I've been around four different, five different groups of corners, five different coaches. Mm-hmm. So just based off my 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 everything that I my experiences I think I help the guys a lot in just keeping them keeping them where their feet are and not like not allowing the frustrations of being a rookie the frustrations of of a new coach the frustrations of a new environment to intertwine and affect their performance because that's one of the biggest things you got a lot of guys that could be playing in the NFL that could be starters but there are outside things that affect their performance in which doesn't allow them to get on the field. So yeah. I'm just that guy that the rookies can like, I can keep you, I can keep you aligned with whatever you told me that you want to do this year. Mm-hmm. You know, I can assess if I can see if like something the coach said has affected them in a way that, you know, they're trying to hide it and I can be there to, Hey, this is what you should not, what you should be doing. But Hey, just look at me. It's not going, it's not going to be the end of the world. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, of course there's a technique that you might not agree with, but this is how it goes. Of course, you're not going to win every rip, but this is how it goes. It's not the end of the world. I try to keep them connected to the realities of being an NFL player, which is that it's all a blessing. Like every day is a blessing. When you've been cut, you get the you had a you have a better understanding of how like how much it means to you. So I try to keep guys attached to that. Hey, this, how much does this mean to you? And if it means enough to you, then you won't be affected by things that are kind of trivial after the fact. Now, you're like too too smart, too wise yeah. to be hanging out with us. Yeah, this is great. <laughs> I can tell you Man. that right now. That, that, that answer's way too intelligent. Yeah, all right? right. <laughs> you're going to have to dumb it down for us here, Tony. <laughs> well, I mean, you talked about not having an ego. The, right. I mean, that is you. I mean, you you just love ball. You're a great teammate. Well, we'll end with this. You are you're just unapologetically Tony Brown. And right. I mean that in a great way because guys gravitate towards you. You're a great uh, character. You have a great personality. And Sherry, I don't know if we can zoom in here. I'm kind of putting you on the spot, but you, you never wear shoes unless you're playing in a football game, right? right. You're never wearing cleats or shoes unless you have to. Uh-huh. So there you are barefoot. Yeah. I mean, I'm getting ready for games and I'm kind of scouting out who's out there beforehand. I'm watching the kickers warm up, you know, seeing what they're Distances and the weather conditions and stuff like that. But also about an hour and a half before every game, there's Tony Brown <laughs> barefoot with his shirt off. And yeah. I'm like, this dude is the toughest guy that the Colts have on their roster. And it could be, you know, 95 degrees in August for a preseason game, or it yeah. could be like negative whatever in December and January getting ready for a playoff game. Take us through that. I mean, wh- wh- right. where does that come from? Tony Brown. So two parts. So it's a, it's a two part, right? I'll, I'll address the shirt off part first. And, right. and your fashion sense is on point. Oh, yeah. Well. Right, 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 right. <laughs> well, so that's a whole other podcast. <laughs> right, right. So I'll address the shirt off one. So the shirt off thing is it started in Green Bay. Yeah. Right. Actually, prior to Green Bay, it started like this, the playoff game of no, no, no. Probably the LSU game of my senior year yeah. at Alabama, right? There is this level of um, there is a, a level of like aesthetic. Um, <laughs> there's a level of like aesthetic intimidation, right? Oh, there's that, no doubt that I wanted, especially to, with you. You look like I, an Adonis yeah, out there, you know. Like you with your shirt off makes me want to go to the gym, <laughs> you know, or like get on Weight Watchers or something, pal. <laughs> right. So I was maybe 10 pounds heavier in college. Right now I'm like 190 something. I was like 211, 212. So right. I was a bigger guy, strong fella. Right. <laughs> so whenever we're playing other teams, I'm like, hey, I want to let you guys know I'm putting work in. So that was the mentality in my mind. Go. Like, yeah. hey, we're not missing no days. So that was the mentality of me going to be field, here for four quarters. Right. With no shirt against, <laughs> these, against these rivals. Hey, bro, we putting this work in. You This is what work looks like. Right. So moving on to the NFL, um, I went to Green Bay. From Texas, went to Alabama, southern, more southern, hot, hotter type weather. Yeah. So it's Green Bay, I, I'm, figure, I'm trying to figure out, like, yo, how can I get used to this cold? Because you cannot play if you if you feel cold, yo, it's game over, <laughs> right? Game over. So I'm like, okay, bet, this is what I'm going to do. I forgot. Like I said, I visualization. I visualized it. That wasn't enough, yo, because that wasn't enough. <laughs> I said, dog, the best thing I can do is go get as cold as possible prior to the game and then come back in and try to feel a little warmer. <laughs> 
so I know that I got a, I got a level of, I'm warmer than I that's was. That's the coldest you can possibly I'm be. I'm warmer than I was. That's right. Yeah. So I, that's the coldest I can possibly get was no shirt. And it kind of became um, like a ritual for me, yeah. like to walk around the field with no shirt and I feel comfortable doing that myself now and now for the feet, right? All right, yeah. So I'm already an outside type We're of guy. We're halfway there. Right, right, right. I'm an outside, I'm an outside type of guy. I'm kind of from the country a little bit. I'm an outside guy. Yeah, yeah. Right. Um, I had this inflammation in my heel when I was with the Bengals. Okay. And I couldn't figure out where it came from. And But shoes were hurting my heel. Like, it was hurting for me to walk. And so I just stopped wearing shoes. Like, whenever I, I was at the house, I was like, I feel better without wearing shoes. So I started not wearing shoes. And I realized, like, the padding of your foot is... Um, it's tougher than you think it is. I've stepped on things, stepped on sharp things, and it heals quickly. But and I felt better, and I felt my foot felt stronger, and it made me kind of look up and research a little bit. Like, well, is shoeless healthy? Is it something that could help me uh-huh. athletically? And it is. Like we were closed. We were closed to show closed toe shoe boxes for the most part of our life which like brings our toes together when they're supposed to be more spread out to activate all the muscles in your foot <laughs> wow right here we are and you got to think about like your foot pad as it strikes the ground if you're not activating certain muscles in your foot they connect all the way up to the hip i'm taking my shoes off right now <laughs> same thing with a push-up you imagine doing a push-up with your fingers very close together yeah it wouldn't be the same as if your fingers are spread apart wow same thing with your toes wow. so i wanted to practice getting my toes where they spread apart more more often and not being close together. So that's the two, <laughs> two or three part uh, mind. Blown. Yeah, mind behind Dude, I, I me having you. no shoes. Man, I told you you're way too you're smart. You're way this too podcast. smart for this. <laughs> Holy oh, moly. Wow. Man, that, that's that's amazing. I appreciate you going into that. And telling no, I appreciate story. you guys for asking and wanting to know. Because, right you know, I had to talk I had to talk with some people. And, you know, me walking around with no shoes in some places, you know, people, I get all these comments, hey, that's nasty, X, Y, Z. And sometimes it affected me. Like, it affected me sometimes. But, it didn't affect me when I realized, like, in my mind, I'm like, yo, I'm doing this for, for my reasons to better myself, yeah, right? No doubt. But at the end of the day, I, have, I still have to understand that it's not, like, it's not a part of the social norm. The social norm is to wear shoes. No. So when I got an understanding of that, I can deal with it better with people looking at me weird when I have no shoes yeah. on. So with all sandals, like, sandals is that? So they have, so look. This like is, a slide, is, like a Nike slide. Yeah, this is free marketing, right? I, Vivo, Vivo has not paid me no money or nothing. They, they should, though. Vivo Barefoot should pay me money after this. But So they have Barefoot shoes. Vivo Barefoot is a good brand of shoes that I do wear sometimes. They're wide toe box shoes that are pretty, they're very good for what I'm trying to do for if I'm okay. running or doing things. But whenever I don't have a chance to, Hey yo, yeah. There's no shoes for TV. That's right. Man. I love it. It's yeah. like Saturday morning, <laughs> right? On the carpet every Saturday. Tony Brown, right there. Oh. We could talk to you for literally for hours on end. <laughs> have multiple themed podcasts, but we we know you got to run. You got right. the the task at hand. The Cincinnati Bengals coming up here in Week 14. Tony, gracious for your time. Thank you so Thank much. You guys for Good luck. Me. All right. Yes, sir. Thank you, guys. That's the greatness of Tony Brown right there on the official Colts podcast. Well done. We're back in here uh, closing it out. Bill Brooks returns. Casey Vallier. I'm Matt Taylor. Colts and Bengals coming up on Sunday. Let's go rapid fire to close out here, boys, with some welcome. I'm calling this welcome to the jungle hot okay. takes. All right. Okay. Cincinnati, Paycor Stadium, the Bengals, right? They call their home field advantage. Uh, affectionately, it's known as the jungle. And I dug this up that the five highest attended home games and nine of the top 10 in Bengals history have occurred since the start of last year. Mm, All right. Wow. So they're riding okay. high. Okay. They're riding high. They have uh, made the playoffs back to back years, AFC championship game appearances, back to back years, one Super Bowl appearance. They came up short, but they have won 13 of their last 17 home games dating back to week, week 16, wow. 2021, including the postseason. So right now they're feeling pretty good. They call it the jungle. They play Guns N' Roses. Welcome <laughs> to the jungle. All right, Casey, I know you're not going to be at the game, but I'm fully prepared to hear that song about 17 <laughs> times. That's where I'm putting the over-under there. So 17. here's my hot take for you. I, I still like it. I still like uh, Welcome to the Jungle by Guns N' Roses. Does it hold up still, or is it overplayed in, in sports stadium venues, if you will? What's you know, your hot take on GNR? I, I, I think it still jungle? holds up. I think it's, <laughs> <coughs> it's, 
it's one of those that I'm with you. I'm sure it's overplayed. Like if it comes on on the radio, I'm probably going to skip it just because I've heard it so many times. But it's one of those songs you hear it. It's like Don't Stop Believing by you're like, all right, all right. I know it. Yeah, I'm good with this. So and you got to give I mean, Axl Rose and he Bunny Born and what Lafayette. Lafayette so you got to yeah. give a little, uh, you know, Indiana nod. So, yeah, sure. It's a little overplayed. But in that setting, I think it works. I mean, that 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 album came out when you were in the locker room now. Came out in 1987. Yeah, it just wasn't my type of music back right. in 1987. <laughs> I was I've heard the song. I believe right, me. Right. It just wasn't my oh, type of man. music back in 1987. You didn't like great. My Michelle or Anything Goes <laughs> or Paradise like City. That, but I tell you what. Appetite for Destruction. I actually like it. I actually like the song when, when, you, when you hear it <laughs> at stadiums and arenas and things like that. I like it. It gets you excited. It gets you ready to go that, hey, you know what? You're coming into a hostile environment. Yeah. We're going to be hostile yeah. here. So you guys got to be ready to play. And as a, a player, you like it because it's usually <laughs> you against the world, you against right. the other team and their fans. So welcome you like it. I jungle. say, welcome to the jungle. Yeah, we like that. We want. We are welcoming. We I want to hear the you jungle. scream, Bill Brooks. <laughs> we are coming to the jungle, and hopefully, we're going to win this football game. So, as a former player, I like. I like to hear it. There you go. It still holds up, baby. It still holds up. That's my hot take. Hot take number two: The Bengals uniforms are awesome. Oh, I, I think they're awesome. I, I love the uniqueness of the helmet. Agreed. I know they've got the uh, the white helmets, the white, yes, with the with the Bengal so tiger. Sharp. Yes, I, I still think they hold up. I think the Bengals uniforms are top five in the NFL. Where do you stand? I, I like the white. I like the white on white. The white oh, see, helmets, no, the white shirts. I don't and the like white that. Pants. I, I wish I, they go back no. to the orange helmets and the black. I'm, I'm not crazy about stripes. the. I'm not crazy about the orange helmets. Just something about it. I just. Doesn't do anything for me, but the white awesome. on white, I love so that. I love that look. It's so unique in the NFL. See, I like all of them. I, I, I think their color scheme is perfect. So I, I think that, you know, all of the uniforms, they all kind of match. So I'm right there with you. I think they're a top five for sure. All right. Hot take number three, Cincinnati chili, Skyline chili. Oh. You know what I'm talking about? The spaghetti, the chili, the, the mound of like the, the, the Mount Everest mound oh, of cheddar cheese <laughs> on top of a Coney or a five-way or a yes. three-way. What do you think? I'm going to bust you guys' bubble. Uh-oh. Haven't had it. Oh, my God. I have no. not had Skyline Chili. Really? I have not. No. I really haven't. Since I've been here, I've never had Skyline right, Chili. After this podcast, I know where a Skyline I is. Know it's you, about 25 I, minutes north. We'll go there, right there, to there, it. You can't even objectively by, weigh in. I passed a number of them, and I just have not stopped and got Skyline Chili. Oh, Man. But how do you think it would taste? Because you either, you either love, I love it chili. I or love you chili. hate it. I love chili anyway. So like You think it's like the best like uh, Midwest yeah. delicatessen, if you will, or you're just like, this combination makes no <laughs> sense. It tastes good every once in a while. Like It kind of hits the spot, but it's not one of those meals where you, you want it all the time because it's so heavy and so unique, I suppose. I, I don't know. know. I have a different take. I think... I'm a huge Skyline fan. I like Gold Star. It's the other Cincinnati, you know, rival to Skyline. <laughs> okay. I like a five-way. I like the Coney's. I even like, the, you know, they give you little oyster crackers. I'll put some hot sauce on the oyster crackers. I will not do that anywhere else. I won't do that at home. I don't they, know why yeah. when I'm there I do that. But my, I have, I have a, a six-year-old son who would love Sonic, and Sonic's favorite food is a chili dog. So we do chili dogs at home pretty often, and we typically will buy the Skyline chili pre-made chili sauce from, you know, Kroger or wherever. And find, so, like, we are chili dog fans in the Valley household, and, Bill, I'm not going to lie, I'm a little, a little upset by the never had Skyline. Well, I mean, oh, I could, I could go eat Skyline right now. What be, makes it so special to you? I don't know. That's the thing. I don't know what – I mean, I think the chili is really – they're chili. The, it's perfect tasting. The cheese – I love cheese. So you can never have too much cheese. Oof. And, you know, I, I could almost go Classic with big, bigger hot dogs. <laughs> like if you get a, if you get the the Coney dogs, the dogs are pretty small, so I could always go for bigger. But I also like a five way with the noodles and the the fries are great. I, I don't know. I I can't tell you why I like it, but oh, skyline I, I love a skyline chili skyline. connoisseur over there, huh? Oh, big Sherry, fan. Sherry, uh, yes or no? Thumbs up. Never had it. Oh, never had it. Oh, Sherry, Sherry, Sherry and I are on the same same boat. Expense reports here at lunch. <laughs> Sherry and Bill, yeah, sharing a five weight right there. A little Coney action at lunch. I like it, fellas. Good stuff right there. Plus, they serve it at halftime in the press box. That's a no go. Yeah, that, that, that is an yeah, absolute no go. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, would, I would pass on that. Yeah, that's what you want doing the second half play yeah. by play. I, that I is would a pass no on go. That. All right, let's just put it in that. Good boss right there. We're going to end the podcast with uh, Casey 
fantasy value. <laughs> Bill Brooks, that's one way to go to close out here. But hot take is it's a huge game for the Colts. It's a huge game for the Bengals. Playoff implications galore in week 14 on the banks of the Ohio kickoff set for 1 o'clock. You can hear it, of course, on our flagship stations in Indianapolis, 97.1 Hank FM, 93.5 and 107.5 The Fan and all over the state, all over Colts country on the Bell Tire Radio Network. For Bill Brooks, Casey Vallier, I'm Matt Taylor. Thanks for hanging out with us today on YouTube and the Colts Audio Network talking Colts and Bengals. We'll be back next week talking Colts and Steelers. But until then, have a great weekend and go Colts. And thanks for listening to the official Colts podcast brought to you by Win Las Vegas. So long.